Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune, and ND Insider. This is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pot of Gold Podcast, an ND Insider production. I'm Eric Hansen. Once again, with me is Tyler James. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Pot of Gold Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today order or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. Easy for me to say. And Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. Well, I'm going to introduce our guest, who is also doubling as Tyler James, because we really want to get into the nuts and bolts of both this game, the Camping World Bowl, which is Saturday at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, and also get into some big picture things. And we'll also be doing our regular Place Your Bets segment and questions from you coming from Twitter. So, Tyler, first of all, how are things in Florida? Are they as comfy as they were in South Bend yesterday when it was 63 degrees. Yeah, you guys got some great weather back there, but uh, we're doing all right with our weather down here as well, although it always seems like it, it has a chance of rain, but we haven't gotten rain down yet, so hopefully that, that stays away for the rest of the weekend, but everything's going well, and um looking forward to uh, Saturday's Camping World Bowl. And, and is there rain in the forecast for tomorrow at all? I think so. I think there's a chance that it could happen. I, I I'm not really sure when when it may happen or if it will happen. Um, I think, but it does seem like there's a, there's a potential chance for rain tomorrow. So we'll see how that plays out. I think there's it seems like a lot of times there's a chance for rain down here, but you never really know what's going to actually develop. Well, it's I do think this is a pretty interesting matchup. But I, I the thing that's fascinated me the most this month has been the whole Chip Long divorce with Brian Kelly kind of what went wrong there, what's gone right since, the spin along those lines. And so I really want to start with the offensive coordinator. We know Tom Tom Reese or Tommy Reese, whatever we want to call him, is the play caller for the game, uh, which Brian Kelly revealed a couple days ago. But let's, let's spin this a little bit ahead. You know, Brian mentioned that he was going to do his hiring after December 31st. And my thought to you is, as we kind of look at internal versus external candidates and 
and all that, is the answer of who the best candidate is different if we say for 2020 versus 2021 and beyond just because of what's at stake next year, the caliber of defensive coordinators they're facing next year? I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think that's interesting because um, and I think Tommy Reese and what they want to do with Tommy Reese makes it the most compelling and maybe maybe even confusing and unclear of what they want to do until they actually do it. Because say maybe it's maybe it's best for Ian Book and Notre Dame's offense for there to be some continuity and Tommy Reese taking over the offense and maybe not changing a lot of things and having some stability with that and um, riding that into next season. But if you make Tommy Reese the offensive coordinator and maybe things don't go well, um, does that lead to maybe an ugly divorce? Would you still want Tommy on staff and then replace him with a different offensive coordinator? That would seem to be a bit of an awkward uh, situation. Um, so maybe the way around that is like a cool offensive coordinator situation for next season and um, and figure that out. I, I don't really know how how they want to handle it. I think uh, um, it, it would make some sense, I think, to have that continuity with, and not a lot of upheaval in the, going into next season. But uh, maybe if you have a lot of players coming back that are, that are veteran and and are savvy in terms of their football experience, that it doesn't necessarily matter if they have to learn a lot in the offseason and they'll be fine um, maybe coming in with a new offensive coordinator. Because even if Brian could hire someone from the outside, I don't know that it's going to be um, a total overhaul of the offense in any way. I think a lot of it's going to be what Brian Kelly wants in his offense, operated by maybe whether it's someone he's already worked with or someone he hasn't worked with before. And, and so uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll see – how that all plays out. I'm curious, do you, do you, what, what's kind of your thoughts on that? Do you think that the answer needs to be the same for 2020 as, as going forward beyond that? I think there there's compelling arguments on both sides. I do think the continuity thing is a factor, and yet Brian Kelly has kind of said, we're not going to change a whole lot with the offense. You know, And, and I would imagine then who would ever, ever would come in is picking plays out of Brian Kelly's playbook and maybe adding some nuanced differences to it. Um, and then the they would try to keep the terminology the same. Whatever this person was using somewhere else, they would fit their vocabulary to what Notre Dame's already running. It all goes back to me in the readiness of Tommy Reese. And I think when I heard Brian Kelly talk about Tommy yesterday it's almost like he's setting up that defense in case he goes that direction um you know he's been around football all his life you know and the thing to me is you know how do you spot greatness how do you spot is there a difference between a guy that's going to be is a rising star in the coaching industry versus a finished product in the coaching industry you know and what what's the best for Notre Dame. And and my worry too is sometimes when you have something that ends unpleasantly, a firing or whatever, at times there is a tendency to maybe overcompensate and go the other way to the extreme too far instead of right. finding a balance. Now I think with the Brian Van Gorder moving on from him, that was actually a nice balance there. Um, but in some of the other hires, I'm 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 not sure. And you look through Brian Kelly's offensive coordinators, and they haven't all been 
great hires. You know, Charlie Molnar was a disaster, and they were lucky that he found a head coaching job at UMass after the 2011 right. season, or I think there would have been a change there. You know, we had Chuck Martin on our podcast, and it was interesting the things Brian Kelly wanted from Chuck, which I think are very different from what he'll want from this offensive coordinator. You know, um, Mike Denbrock and uh, Mike Sanford kind of overlapped each other with Mike Denbrock kind of being in charge the whole time. Brian Kelly promised Mike Sanford would be a guy that turned the room upside down. And in my conversations with Mike Denbrock, that never happened. Um, I thought Mike Denbrock was a really good offensive coordinator who was paired with a terrible defensive coordinator, and it didn't bring out, I think, the positives in what he was as a play caller. Statistically, he's the best Notre Dame's had under Kelly, including Kelly himself. And then we got into the Chip Long, who I thought was really positive in the beginning and even through last year, and then then deteriorated. So all this is kind of moving through my mind, but I think the two things, the two conclusions I think is Brian Kelly absolutely has to at least investigate who the best person is outside the program. And he also needs to not shy away from Reese if he really thinks he's the best guy and he just thinks that there's going to be a negative reaction to it. Um, yeah, and I, I think you, one thing that I, I, I like that you talked about was just kind of like it's hard to – and we get asked all the time, who, who should be the next offensive coordinator? Who are the guys that they're should be looking at? And when when we go through that that process, obviously there's ways to get information of who Notre Dame may be looking at. But if we're trying to pick out who we think would be good yeah. coordinators, we're just going off a resume, and it's so hard to to actually know beyond what the resume is. What does that mean about how he coaches? I mean, you can get anecdotes from people, but until you sort of observe them, and 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 so I think that's the job that Brian Kelly and Notre Dame has to do in terms of determining who are the guys. And that's why um, if he likes Tommy Reese and he feels like um, what he's done in the three seasons with him at Notre Dame as a coach um, are enough to be take over as the play caller full time beyond this Camping World Bowl. Then um, Kelly has more information than any of us do, and just because uh, Tommy Reese doesn't have that on his resume um, doesn't mean that he can't handle that. And certainly, you would like to think Notre Dame isn't a school that that you should have a first time offensive coordinator at, and then a, a young guy like that as offensive coordinator, but. Um, it's it's not that easy. I mean, football. Um, there's there's good coaches that are really young that are great, and there's there's bad coaches that are really old and and aren't keeping up with the game. So and have have good good years uh, and good lines on their resume. And um, everything is changing when it comes to college football. And um, find, finding out what 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 is between those lines of the resume is is the toughest job uh, I think Brian Kelly has. You know, I. You you mentioned inexperience and experience, and I wonder if we do we overplay the age angle. And I I threw out throw out here a couple of names. Charlie Weiss Jr. just got a new job as an offensive coordinator with South Florida. He had been at Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin. Uh, he's twenty seven years old right now, so he's the same age as Tommy Reese. Now he has a little bit more experience uh, calling plays. Um. And then you look at Brian Kelly. How old was he when he started calling plays? He was 29. He turned 30 during that first year. And he was the head coach when he first started calling plays. 
you know, at Grand Valley, he had been their defensive coordinator when he was named head coach. So he was doing that. He started doing that when he was 27, 28 years old, and then flipped to the offense and started calling plays. And then the other name I throw out there is Sean McVay from the Rams, just because in one of those little cutesy magazine, you know, Q&As I do with him where it's kind of way off topic, I asked right. him if there was somebody in the NFL that really grabbed his attention, and he said Sean McVay. And we're talking about a guy that, uh, you know, was 30 years and almost 31, basically, when he became the head coach of the Rams. But he was an offensive coordinator in the NFL at 28. Very successful. So so are we are we selling short people in their late 20s or, or around 30? You know, are we – are we not giving them enough credit when it comes to maybe being able to step in at Notre Dame and, and do a good job? And certainly you've spent more time with Tommy Reese, I think, at least in the last year than anybody on our beat because you had a chance to do that Ian Book-Tommy Reese story for the MAG last year. Right. Yeah, and I, I was very impressed with Tommy in that setting. And certainly it was an intimate one, and certainly it's – as much as I wanted to kind of observe them in their natural habitat, it is a performance of some sort. They know I'm sitting there watching them, but um, I don't think that they were putting on a show in any way. I think it was pretty um, natural and, and maybe not that different than um, what it would normally be. And it would I don't even know necessarily the the language that, that Tommy would use with Ian Chains necessarily because he, he wasn't a, a, afraid to talk to Ian like he normally would even if I were wasn't there, so... Um, I, I thought that um, it, it was impressive to me. Now, certainly, maybe I'm easy to impress in that setting. I don't know that I would have gone in a lot of those settings like, wow, that coach really didn't know what he was doing. I would think uh, at least if he's a guy that's coaching another name, he would probably be impressive in some way. But um, I think that uh, there probably needs to be some sort of continuity with Ian Book. Certainly, if Tommy Reese were to stay as the quarterback's coach, he would have a big role. In, in Ian Book's development going into next season and making sure that um, things kind of go smoothly. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that age isn't that important. I, I, the play-calling thing is tough just because you don't necessarily have that experience. But, I mean, even as a quarterback, you're audibling at times, and so you you know what what is going into the decisions that are uh, when, when, when plays are being called and called into you and the options you may have in terms of audibling them and, um, the options he's giving Ian in terms of audibling them. So I think that um, I'm really fascinated to see how it plays out. I, I understand if there is skepticism if Tommy Reese is named the offensive coordinator, um, but I I think I think with a lot of the coaching stuff, I'm just like I I won't I won't be able to tell you if it was good or bad until I get to actually see it up close. So I mean I, I know that's necessarily not not good and uh, um, not necessarily helpful always, but I think um, there are reasons to believe that. Tommy Reese uh, could be success- successful if given this opportunity, but also certainly reasons to be skeptical as well. You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's. Before we hear more from Tyler, James, and me, uh, let's take a short break. We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Touchdown! 
Okay, Tyler, uh, let's look into this game a little bit. And I think it's been interesting. The line was pretty small for uh, a 10 and 2 team versus 7 and 5 on a neutral field, three and a half points. And it's been pretty steady ever since that line came out in early December. And I think what people are trying to gauge is how motivated is Notre Dame for this particular game? Are we going to get the best of Notre Dame in this game? And and I'm curious the vibe that you are getting in Orlando the last couple days. Yeah, so I haven't been able to talk to any players since I've been down here. But I did talk to Drew White before we came down uh, to Orlando when, whenever, when the team was still up in Orlando last Saturday. And he kind of said that he didn't think that they needed to worry too much about being motivated because they're sort of playing for each other. It was kind of football football talk, more or less. But I, I think that it, it seems like it has been a little bit of an issue in terms of um, Notre Dame practicing the way Brian Kelly wants them to practice, and he feels that, that maybe that um, they haven't been as focused. He, he's He's been pretty honest and open about that, that he's demanding more focus from these guys that didn't practice well. On Tuesday, after he let um, the team kind of do what they wanted to do after they arrived um, on Monday and, and gave them an 11:30 curfew, which everyone hit, but uh, maybe they didn't uh, rebound the next morning as he hoped they would. And um, so uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think it's it's easy to understand there to be some sort of letdown, but I also think um, when it comes to game time, they're they're, they're going to realize that they have to to play or they they have a chance to get embarrassed. I think. I think they've probably seen enough of Ohio. Or Ohio I keep saying Ohio instead of Iowa. Iowa State um, instead to, to know that they're, they're talented, that they can make Notre Dame look bad. They're, they're not a bad team. They've played really good teams very well and very closely. So that Notre Dame has to come prepared. So I'm curious how what Notre Dame looks like when they flip that switch if, if they can do that. Um, I would think through all the things that they've been through this season and and the trying times that has required them to bounce back after some tough losses and, uh, and, and come through in those situations. I think that they should be able to still do that, but I think that, uh, um, you certainly don't want to get in a big hole. And I think that, that the start of this game will be very telling in terms of how locked in Notre Dame is, how prepared they are and how serious they're taking this Iowa State opponent. Yeah, when when I talked to some of the players after the, uh, and this was before they got down to Orlando, after the Echoes Awards ceremony, and that was before finals week or anything, you know, uh, I it was a mixed bag a little bit. You know, Trevor Rulon was pretty fired up, but a lot of that is because his parents went to Iowa and they can't stand Iowa State, so they kind of a family thing. And then Alohi Gilman felt a little bit disrespected that Notre Dame should have been in a, on a bigger stage, that he felt like they had earned that. That doesn't mean he won't play hard. I know he will, but you wonder, again, kind of the young guys. At least they're in Florida and not somewhere kind of icky, and uh, so they're in a good venue. But, again, what's what's the motivation? I think Brian Kelly did a great job once they lost the Michigan game of, of getting them to focus on games that didn't necessarily lift them any higher in the rankings. So I right. think at least they have that in the bank. But uh, – you know that's where I I waffle on my final score prediction, which we'll get to a little bit later, because I just I don't know I can't I can't really get my finger on this. I know BK's into it, but I'm not sure about the players. Yeah, and I think I'm curious 
because we have these guys that like Khaled Kareem. He's like, I, there was no chance I was skipping this bowl if, if if playing in a bowl game is good enough for Mike Mazzucchi and Quentin Nelson. It's good enough for me. Um, so th- those guys are motivated to play in the game. Otherwise, they just wouldn't play in the game. Whether it's Khaled Kareem or um, a Cole Komet or a Chase Claypool, um, they're they're putting aside whatever NFL future is ahead of them to play in this game. So I would think if this this team is as tight as as they say they are, that that they'll be able to provide that leadership, provide that motivation, and these other guys will be sort of fall in line, and and they'll look to those guys and say, hey, if they're willing to put everything on the line for us this this weekend, that that we should be able to do the same. So. Um, I, I think the, the 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 dichotomy of those two things is what we're we're, we're trying to see how how that all plays out on Saturday. Because I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame came out and didn't play well, but I don't know that I would be surprised if Notre Dame came out and blew them out either. So um, I think uh, everything seems to be on the table right now. Do we have any sense of the makeup of the crowd? If it, if it's going to be more Notre Dame, more Iowa State, pretty even? Do we have any guess on that? Based on the people I've seen around Orlando, I would say more Iowa State, but um, maybe the Notre Dame fans are staying, staying at more posh hotels than, than <laughs> we are. Uh, so uh, we will see how, how that goes. And maybe there's more local Notre Dame fans, too. I would, I would imagine if there's going to be some local fans from Orlando, Florida, there would probably be Notre Dame fans and not Iowa State fans. But um, So I, I expect Iowa State to have a, of a pretty good showing in terms of it, the, the fan support and uh I think uh, I think it's going to be kind of be fun. I think maybe that adds some motivation to Notre Dame. That hey, look, look at all these Iowa State fans out here. Let's let's make them sad. So I think uh, uh, that that will be uh, interesting to see how how that plays out. Let's uh, touch on a few of the XO elements. The three three five defense of Joe Haycock from Iowa State. Uh, what's your you know quick sense on Notre Dame matching up against that? Yeah, Brian Kelly insists on calling it a three-five-three. Even though I think maybe if you could talk to John Heacock, he would call it a three-three-five. But it, it, it's interesting because it, it, they play a lot of different. Uh, they give you a lot of different looks, and and certainly it's usually just three base defensive linemen. But um, they have different linebackers and, and sort of safety hybrids that will play in, in different positions, and they'll put different numbers of guys in the box. And that's I, I think maybe why Brian Kelly's been leaning towards calling it a three-five because they'll put eight in the box if they have to, and um, they'll run a three-three and put six guys in the box if they feel like that's the best case. And sometimes even even five guys. I've seen certain situations where there's three down linemen and two inside linebackers, and then that's pretty much in the box. So I, I, it's going to be um, uh, fascinating to see how Notre Dame matches up with that. What Notre Dame um, feels like gives them an advantage. I would. It seems to me, based off some of the comments Brian Kelly made yesterday, that maybe some a lot of two tight end sets could be in, it, it, something that Notre Dame finds appealing and terms of giving them an advantage in run blocking and then maybe also giving them some mismatches with some of those linebackers against Notre Dame's tight ends. And so I, I think it's going to be um, a challenge for Ian Book to, to kind of understand what the Iowa State is trying to throw at him because they will be so multiple and, and throw a lot of different looks at him, throw different coverages at him and try to confuse him. And certainly we've seen Ian Book, when he has struggled, it seems like that has been um, one of the things that he has struggled with. Now certainly – down the stretch of this season, it seems like everything's clicking. And I don't know. It's hard to tell. It, when, he, when things are going well, you just assume that he knows everything that the defense is doing. Or maybe or maybe he was just getting lucky. I, don't, I, w- I would like to think it's probably more the former than the latter. But uh, I, I think that uh, Notre Dame has probably the athletes on the outside to be able to make plays against this Iowa State team. Um, so to so get the ball to your playmakers, find Braden Lindsay, find Chase Claypool, 
find folks in that. Um, and, and we'll see what Notre Dame can do in terms of running the ball. The Iowa State's defense, even though it's a three-three-five, um, it's very good at defending the run. Certainly, Big Twelve, the Big Twelve isn't a, um, known for a lot of powerful running games, but they held Oklahoma State in, in decent check. Who has Chuba Hubbard um, as, as the leading rusher in the country? Um, he still rushed for over 100 yards, but didn't reach his single or his, his season average against uh, Iowa State. I think they held all but three teams that they played below their season average in rushing um, this season. So, um, and, But some of that success that teams had running the ball came later in the season. Kansas and Kansas State ran the ball pretty fairly well against Iowa State at the end of the year. And Iowa State had, had its own kind of they – they, they won some games towards the end of the season, but they didn't necessarily play really well at the end of the year. Um, so they're coming in off of a little bit of a, a letdown to the end of the season. So will that carry over into how they, they play this weekend? I would think that – the motivation of playing Notre Dame would, would maybe trump that, but um, this this defense will p- cause problems if, if Notre Dame lets them, and um, it's going to be up to Notre Dame to kind of recognize what's going on and just sort of relying on, on what's, what has gotten Notre Dame to this point and the athletes that they have because they should be able to win a lot of those mismatches. You know, the two best passing attacks in terms of most yards per game Notre Dame will face this year are USC and Iowa State. Now, USC has a different dynamic with their offense, different philosophy, but they both put up big numbers. If if the receivers were the same, whether they're Iowa State's or USC's, who would you prefer? Who do you think is the better passer, Keaton Slovic or Brock Purdy? Um, that's tough. I, I would probably just lean on Purdy just because I think I've seen what he can do with the, the talent that he maybe doesn't have around him. Certainly he played with some talented players last season, um, but did lose to King Butler and did lose David Montgomery to the draft after last season and has played with with lesser talent this year on offense and still put up some pretty good numbers. And um, USC's wide receivers are just so good that I think, um, and we even saw when Matt Fink came in in the game, he, he played really well. So it doesn't necessarily take the best quarterback to, to maneuver a, a successful USC offense with the weapons that they have. So I would probably lean towards Purdy there, um, but – um, I think maybe in the long run, Keaton Slovis maybe ends up being the, the better quarterback there. Um, maybe he has more physical talent, but I think Purdy's at least experienced at this point would probably lead me to go with him. You know, when I had a chance to talk to Trevor Ruin, he felt very optimistic about the chance for that offensive line to kind of regroup and, and to get to some fundamentals that they can't get into the week-to-week hectic you know, game-planning type settings. You know, they, they certainly have more time. They don't have Chip Long, and that was kind of been thrown out there as maybe a hindrance to the offensive line's progress this year. What do you expect to see from Notre Dame's offensive line in terms of performance in this game? Yeah, I, I buy what Trevor's saying there, that they can maybe uh, hone in on, on some of the fundamentals a little bit better. Certainly we were only given a small window of practice to watch yesterday, but I spent um, a good chunk of it watching the offensive line because the, most of the team was doing special team drills, so I didn't have much interest in, in watching that. So I, I watched the offensive line, and they were going through the basics. They're going through the basics of, of the steps they're using on different blocks, and going through that, uh, Jeff Quinn was making guys do drills multiple times if they weren't doing it right. Uh, Robert Hainsey was being very hands-on in terms of helping Josh Lug a lot in, in various, whether, whether it was run blocking or pass blocking, and uh, I thought that was pretty uh, cool to see. I know we kind of assume that that kind of stuff happens, but to actually get, to get a chance to observe it and see how involved he was um, was pretty pretty telling. And he obviously cares a lot about 
Josh Lug having success in the right tackle while he's out injured. So I, I think that the offensive line will have a chance to to kind of prove itself. I'm I'm curious to see what Notre Dame does in terms of changes or tweaks. I, I would like to see them maybe pare down the the running game in terms of the number of different looks they give the defense because Iowa State maybe has some confusing looks. Just simplify the offensive plays um, in terms of the running game and just execute those and, and adjust them based on the defensive looks you're getting. Um, and maybe that will put Notre Dame's offense in a better uh, position to have success. Uh, but I, I do think that they have Iowa State isn't necessarily going to be bigger and stronger than Notre Dame up front. Um, but they're going to uh, have linebackers in positions to fill gaps and try to um, avoid Notre Dame getting to the second level and try to stuff the run. That's why they have been successful against the run, and um, they will see if they can do that against Notre Dame. Any surprise personnel moves? Anybody that might pop up with a bigger role than we've seen recently or or, or at least all of the season, I guess? I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really have a sense for that. It didn't give anything from that. Um, this this past week, um, they even went to the jersey swaps yesterday to make it even more confusing for us. So um, you had uh, Cole Komet out there wearing Aaron Banks's number. Um, but uh, I think uh, I think we'll probably see a lot of the same personnel. Maybe there would be different personnel out there if maybe a guy gets hurt, one of the uh, marquee guys gets hurt. Maybe the, they feel better about a certain player this time of year than they did earlier in the year that they could sub someone else in differently, but I think in terms of what Notre Dame's going to line up there to start the game, it's probably going to be a lot of a lot of the same stuff that we've seen throughout the season. Okay. Um, I've noticed that Brian Kelly has been crabby almost this whole month. I'm wondering <laughs> if you think that's a good thing, and also, do you think he has his antenna up too much? This reminds me, Tyler, of 2011 a lot. That was the the year that I think Brian sparred with the media the most, maybe a little bit in 2010, but especially in 2011. He seemed to really be attuned to what was being written about the team, what was being written about him. So I, I'm just um, eager to hear your take on the Krabby BK. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I, I, I was just, it was a little weird how he answered the question yesterday, Tim Priester. From Irish Illustrated, asked him, "Are you willing to name the who will be calling the plays?" Because I think we all kind of thought it would be Tommy Reese, but he hasn't come out and said it. At multiple chances, we've we've given him to say it, and um, then he said, "Am I willing to?" And he, he kind of played it off like it's not a secret, um, even though I think the last time we talked to him last Saturday, he said he wanted it to be a national secret when he was just kind of messing yeah. with us. So it's like you're the one who's been uh, kind of messing with us and not telling us who it's going to be. So it, it's kind of strange how he's been kind of delivering his messages to us. And um, and, and sometimes, I mean, Brian Kelly likes to joke with us and, and have fun, so I think sometimes it's that. But it, um, I think maybe some some of it is sometimes ill-timed or um, can be perceived the wrong way if people don't necessarily understand the give and take that, that goes on between uh, Brian Kelly and reporters at times. But um, I can't imagine that, it, especially if he feels that Notre Dame's team isn't performing in practice like he wants him to, I, I have to imagine that would make him a little bit crabby and, and not too pleased with that. And it certainly seemed by the way um, he was talking to players at the beginning of practice and he, when the whole team was grouped up that he was really trying to motivate them and, and get them to understand what's at stake here and that they can't take this Iowa State team for granted. And so um, I imagine the whole Chip Long thing, it makes him a little bit sensitive too. I, I'm curious how that sort of kind of came out. It seemed like 
maybe it didn't necessarily come out in the way that he wanted it to, and the fact that Chip Long didn't have a job lined up made it a little bit maybe more clumsy. I think it, maybe if it, maybe he wanted to be more like the Charlie, Charlie Molnar situation where Chip Long just says he's going somewhere else and no one thinks twice about it. Um, but that, that isn't the way things have worked out. And um, so I, I think that um, it maybe it's all kind of coming together. The t- 2011 season, I was just, just starting and freelancing some stuff for you guys, so I wasn't in tune with his interactions with the media as much at, at that point. But um, it, it has been kind of a little bit weird and kind of harder to get the pulse and maybe what he's thinking um, just in, the, in these media settings than, than he has at times. And I, I don't know that he's necessarily um, – uh, being prickly with us in any way, but he just, it, it doesn't necessarily seem that he, he maybe understands why we're asking some of the questions that we're asking. And I think a lot of them seem to be natural questions. And, um, I think he, he just wants to maybe some of this to be over with and maybe get on to, to, to next season. But, uh, but certainly I think he knows, um, that losing to Iowa State certainly isn't going to be received well, um, by the Notre Dame fan base. And I think the, the upside of this game, I think, even if he's not going to say that, I think he knows that no one's going to be giving him a parade back in South Bend if they beat Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl. So I think it's just a weird hodgepodge of things that maybe don't put Brian Kelly in the best mood, even if he um, is presenting presenting things as possibly as he can at times. Um, but uh, it certainly makes for an interesting setup to Saturday's game and an interesting setup to, to the offseason and the offensive coordinator search and um, whatever comes up beyond that. Okay, and then the last one from me, Tyler, like I like to say at the press conferences, Cole Komet reportedly got a second-round grade from the NFL Advisory Board. Pete Sampson from The Athletic reported that. Do you believe he will rethink his initial thought of, yeah, I'm coming back and I'm playing baseball too? Yeah, I mean, I think it's natural. I think think guys never really – are solid in their minds until they actually have to make that decision and say, okay, I'm not going into the draft. Um, and so I, I don't really know what he's going to do. I, it, it seems strange to me because I think when, and maybe he was just had no clue where his standing was in the NFL as a prospect. Um, when he said earlier in the season that I'm coming back, I'm going to, I want to play baseball. Um, but I, I think even at that point, we all believed he was going to be, if not the top tight end, one of the top tight end prospects in the upcoming draft, which he decided to enter. Um, so there, it, it's a, it's a little, it's a little maybe concerning that he's saying this now when it doesn't seem like, at least from our perspective, that much has changed, even though now that he actually has that, that grade in his hand. Um, so I, I, I think it, he probably will rethink that, make sure he's making the right decision. Um, and I just, I don't get, it seems like he wants to play baseball again, and so if he wants to play baseball again, it seems like he would be coming back and then playing football again next year at Notre Dame. So I don't, I don't have a gr- good enough sense for Colcomet's passion for baseball if that is a big enough um, thing to pull for him to come back, and if that's the reason why. Although I think the football program would probably prefer if he's going to come back, it's because he wants to play football at Notre Dame next year, not because he wants to play baseball this spring. So um, it's a, it's a little bit of an interesting decision he has ahead of him, and. Um, one that I don't know that any of us know what would be the right decision for him, but I think it, uh, whatever he decides to do would probably be probably be um, a smart decision either way. I think there's this pros to, to both decisions. Yeah, I, I think he's good enough where he would be a high draft pick either either year. I know that the tight end crop is looked upon as kind of down this year, so from a 
business standpoint, he could leap to the top of it. And there are analysts that have him as the top tight end prospect right now. So it's interesting. I think one of the polls to playing baseball is his brother Casey is a freshman at Notre Dame. They won a state championship together. And I think that would be fun for him. But again, he's got to think about this as a business. Um, And I'm sure Casey would be happy if uh, Cole had a bunch of walking around money in his pocket too. (laughs) You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Now it's time for Place Your Bet. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some predictions for the Camping World Bowl. And Tyler gets to go first this time, so I can uh, scoff at his predictions here. (laughs) And also get right in saying yes or no, I will say over and under. (laughs) Yeah, since I have to answer it first, you'll know whether you shall say yes or no or over or under. I, I've written mine down so our producer Santiago can see that I've I'm not cheating on my answers here. Okay, over under 285 passing yards for Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy. I'm going to go with under. I don't think Notre Dame is going to build a big lead and, and force Iowa State to throw all day. Um, so I think that would be obviously an opportunity for Purdy to uh, maybe inflate his stats a bit in terms of passing. Um, so I think Notre Dame has a chance to keep Purdy under that total. I wouldn't imagine it would be much lower than 285, but Notre Dame doesn't give up a lot of big plays in the passing game often, and so I think that allows them to um, keep Brock Purdy under 285 passing yards. I'm going to go over just because passing is what Iowa State does the best, um, and they also seem to be content with kind of picking their way down the field instead of uh, trying for – big chunk yardage plays um and i think they'll be content to do that so i'm going to go over okay next question over under 150 rushing yards for notre dame i am going to go under um even though i I do think there's a chance that notre dame can have improvements in the running game uh, i just think there's too many question marks there for me to feel confident in going over um how will reese's play calling um, line up with what Notre Dame can do well in the running game, and like I mentioned before, Iowa State's run defense is good. So I will, I will go with the under there while still believing that there is a, a decent chance that they, they do go over. I'm going to say over, and my instinct there is just that um, Notre Dame will use the unconventional running game with Book sure. and and maybe Braden Lindsay or somebody else kind of sprinkled in there to get that total. I, I, I think if they just relied on Tony Jones and Jafar Armstrong, they wouldn't get there. But with the other elements, I think that they will. Okay, over under, 75 receiving yards for Chase Claypool. I'm going over. It's no longer November, but I still think uh, Chase Claypool will continue sort of his hot streak to the end of the regular season and uh, 
think uh, Iowa State doesn't really have anyone that can that can cover. She's played full in my mind, so I think uh, they'll go over. Yeah, I that's been kind of my refrain is whatever team it happens to be doesn't have anybody. I mean, it's been, what, since Virginia? And I guess Michigan did a good job in the rain of mm-hmm. covering him, but there's not a lot of corners that can cover him the way he's playing right now in my mind. Okay, over under 1.5 rushing touchdowns for Iowa State. I'm going to go under. I don't love Notre Dame's sort of red zone coverage, so I think because Iowa State is, is a good passing offense, I think they when they get into the red zone, they'll have a chance just to score maybe better on uh, it through the pass, um, even though Notre Dame's certainly defensive um, defense has been good against passing offenses. I, I just think that Iowa State will be able to probably easier, more easily score with the pass than rushing, so I will go under. I'm going to go under two, and I think this is going to be a field goal game for Iowa State. I think they're going to get stuck in the red zone in terms of getting touchdowns, and I agree. Once they, you know, just from what I've seen of them, you know, throwing to their tight ends, and it just seems like an easier way for them to score. Um, and, and they've been going against Big 12 teams all year, and so it's not like they've, you know, they're facing SEC defenses, although the Big 12 overall is an improved league defensively. Um, okay, last one, over under 1.5 turnovers forced by Notre Dame. I'm going to go over. I, I'm expecting Iowa State to sort of take some chances offensively um, to try and um, make things happen against Notre Dame's defense. Um, so maybe they get a little bit careless with the football on Notre Dame um, returns to its turnover forcing ways. I am going to go under. They're you know Iowa State is really good at protecting Brock Purdy as much as they throw it. They're top ten in sacks allowed. They don't turn the ball over a lot. Their bad turnover margin is more a product of not forcing turnovers themselves. Right. Uh, so that's my instinct there. Okay. A final score prediction. I'm going to go with Notre Dame 34, Iowa State 30. I mentioned earlier, I'm not sure that at this point any result would really surprise me based on kind of the the, uh, maybe almost pessimism that that Brian Kelly has has kind of thrown our way in terms of what – uh, how Notre Dame has been practicing, and you're always kind of wondering about the motivation when it comes to a bowl game like this. But I still think Notre Dame will be able to to win the game, although um, I don't think it will be by a wide margin. Okay, I am going to go pretty close to the point spread. I'm going to go Notre Dame 30, Iowa State 27. So I am not helping the betters out there at all. <laughs> I think I think we are helping them and telling them to stay away. Okay. <laughs> Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit your questions to Twitter before every podcast. I'm E Hansen at or NDI. That's the at sign first. E Hansen NDI and Tyler's is T James NDI. And Hansen has an E N, not an O N, or you'll never find me. So we did have a ton of questions, and the first one's more like a statement. So I'm going to read this, and we will we will make statements back from Joe at Joe Vrabic. Uh, good thing Vaughn played Clemson last year. Otherwise, ACC would be very sad today with Miami and Pitt headlining their T 
TV exposure. Now, Pittsburgh came back at the end of their quick lane bowl. Really amazing catch, won 34-30 over kind of a 500-ish Eastern Michigan team. Miami got shut out, and that's Miami, Florida, not Chuck Martin's Miami team. Got shut out in the Shreveport Independence Bowl, 14 to nothing with Bob Diaco as the defensive coordinator in that game. So my statement is, what? Uh, I don't think Dante <laughs> Vaughn is going to be a big factor in this game. I think you'll see a lot of Sean Crawford and Troy Pride but I wouldn't write off Dante Vaughn as getting some action here. So that's my response to that statement. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly from some of the tweets that Joseph was sending at yesterday, I think he was watching a, a, the Notre Dame Clemson game, and, and maybe that's why the Vaughn playing against Clemson last year uh, was part of his statement tweeted at us. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ACC isn't good. I think people understand that, and that's why people question what Clemson should be ranked going into the playoff, even though they went through their schedule undefeated. And that's ultimately probably why the, the number three seed has the defending champion, despite running through the regular season undefeated. The BCC is not very good. Miami's not good. Um, Pittsburgh's not great, uh, even though um, they did end up pulling out the, the victory against Eastern Michigan and didn't throw any punches at any referees. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, um, it's going to be fascinating to see looking forward what, what the ACC is like in terms of giving Notre Dame some strength of schedule. Certainly, uh, as long as you have Clemson on the schedule like you do next year, I don't think it really matters. They could play the four worst teams in the ACC as long as they're playing Clemson and they have that win on their resume uh, in the college football playoff rankings. It's not going to matter. So um, I, I think that uh, ACC is in a tough stretch here in terms of uh, its conference strength down Clemson, and, and uh, we'll see if they can find a way out of that. Okay, the next question is from Toby Deal, who's at TD, TDISU19. Uh, Brian Kelly recently spoke about raising the bar on Notre Dame's recruiting. I thought that was interesting, too. And ND's starting to get top five classes. His previous statements have said, they will consistently be in the top 10 to 15 range. Why the change of heart? What will they be doing differently? Is he realistic? And he mentions as a passing thought, 2021 looks great so far. Yeah, that that was a fascinating uh, question, or a fascinating statement Brian Kelly said. It was at the end of his uh, uh, session with the reporters yesterday. I did. Um, Notre Dame's sports information department literally said last question, and then that was asked. <laughs> and then, so we didn't really get a, ch- get a chance to necessarily follow up in terms of what specifically he thinks they can do differently or, or what, what that means. Um, I think the coaching staff will have some part to do with that in terms of the new hire that they're going to make on offense. He wants this person to be able to be a very good recruiter. And I think that his confidence in the Notre Dame coaching staff and their ability to recruit ha- has raised. And uh, the coaches have earned that respect. Uh, the quality of the 2020 class has given them confidence. Um, they, they they got elite guys on offense in this past recruiting uh, cycle that I've written about in the past, and um, they're off to a good start in the 2021 class as well. So um, I'm curious what that what Notre Dame getting to another level in terms of recruiting looks like. I, I think. Um, can Notre Dame be a school that gets in the top five once every three or four years? Uh, potentially. Uh, can they average inside the, the top ten every year? 
Um, I'm a little less certain about that. I went back and looked at all the class rankings that Notre Dame has had um, during Kelly's tenure, and both on 24-7 and 24-7 Sports and Rivals average out to just about 12. It was 12.8 on 24-7 Sports and 12.2 in terms of their average class ranking in each of Brian Kelly's 11 classes. Before. Obviously, the 2020 class could still change if, if players are added to different classes or Notre Dame's class um, come February, but um, at this point, they're, they're ranked 15 in both of the uh, both 24/7 sports and rivals. So their name is more more recently, and then Brian Kelly has said in the past that he thinks the 10-15 range is is kind of where they're going to be at, and that's what they have been at. Um, but I think it, it, it's good for the program for Brian Kelly to be confident that they can they can get better, and him being out in front of that. And I think some of that may fall on him too, for him to be uh, more of a leading voice in recruiting and less of a closer and more of a uh, uh, getting out there earlier in recruitment and, and playing more of a role and finding out ways that he can impact um, recruits and, and, and sell recruits um, with what they're doing here at Notre Dame. Well, I think um, they've mastered kind of the early cycle. They they are better at it than most people. Um, yeah. They get go after the people they want early. They had, what, one commitment after July, and that's all they really were looking to do. Um, they've got a great start on their next class. Uh, you know, they, they've taken a, so well advantage of the uh, spring and early summer official visiting window. Right. Uh, so I think those are all positives. When you look at their classes and why maybe they've dragged down sometimes, I think some of it is two positions, running backs and cornerbacks. And – if they feel like there is an upgrade in recruiting at those positions, and we certainly saw it in a small sample size with Chris Tyree, but they looked well positioned for 2021. And if they can get the cornerbacks to go with the the defensive linemen, offensive linemen, and then now they're starting to get wide receivers, I could see them ticking up, you know, to where they're a little bit more consistent with the class rankings, but. To me, again, it's about hit rate. You know, even if you have higher ranked recruits, do they stay and survive academically at Notre Dame? Are they as good as advertised? You mentioned the wide receiver recruiting is really difficult to size up because a lot of Notre Dame's best receivers in the Brian Kelly era haven't been the highest ranked ones um, right. and, and vice versa. So all that's really interesting to me. I That's too bad there wasn't time for a follow-up because it's much more interesting than anything that has to do with camping Um, (laughs) that is true okay the next question is for baba ganoush and he's at i'm going to just say the letters p-l-a-c-t yeah lowercase or underscore i-t-f-d-b that must be an interesting code but he asks questions on here a lot i should find out what that means He said, Book was great the last three games of the season. Iowa State is expected to be a tougher opponent. To what are your so what are your expectations of Book in the bowl game? Also, where do you rank ISU among Andy's regular season opponents this year? I think Ian Book will play well. I think um, that's why Tommy Reese, probably a big reason why Tommy Reese is calling the place and their name can put Book in the best position to succeed in this bowl game. Um, he is sort of the catalyst for this offense. Um, but I do think, like I mentioned before, Iowa State's defense will be a challenge that um, he may need some time to sort of figure out. And so I, 
maybe you're not high fly. It's not a high flying start. Maybe it's, maybe it's a similar start to the Stanford game, and Notre Dame fans start freaking out. Um, <laughs> I, I would put good odds on that 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 maybe be what happens in this Camping World Bowl. Um, but then it is eventually able to kind of uh, figure things out and get things rolling. In terms of where I w- would stack up uh, Iowa State, I think Iowa State at their best is probably around the same level as Virginia in my mind. I think uh, certainly Georgia and Michigan would be ahead of them, but um, I, I would probably look at Virginia as the third best team that Notre Dame played against this year. Maybe there's an argument that that USC is in that conversation, and certainly Virginia Tech um, played Notre Dame as well as anybody um, uh, down the stretch. But um, I, like I mentioned earlier as well, I don't think Iowa State ended the season playing great. Um, and, and so I'm curious to see how Iowa State comes out. I think we're all, we just kind of assume Iowa State's going to come out and play well because they have an opportunity to beat Notre Dame, but it's not always that easy. So, um, I, I think that, uh, um, Iowa State is a formidable foe. I think seven to five isn't necessarily a great indicator to, to, to the, the threat that Iowa State poses for Notre Dame on Saturday. This is a really interesting game as far as I'm concerned about how Book plays because he has not been good against elite defenses and he has eaten up terrible defenses. And Iowa right. State is a kind of a top third in total defense. They're 43rd, so they're just on that edge of being in the top third of total defenses in the country. And Ian Book has not faced a lot of teams like that. And so if there's improvement there, on his part, if he has a really good game, I would be encouraged by that. Do I think he's going to? Yeah, I kind of do. I, I think he's going to be good and not great. Um, and I think I think that's going to be a big difference in the game. And I would agree with you. I think Georgia and Michigan are the top two. And then that next tier is kind of Virginia, Virginia Tech, USC. Uh, I don't think Navy is up there, even though they were ranked similarly to those teams I think Notre Dame had a better matchup with them so I I would go with Virginia as well okay the next question comes from Kevin McNally at happy underscore dude silly question but what do they mean when they refer to a player as having great length I understand size height wingspan speed and even when they say plays with leverage but I'm not sure about length I he may have called it a silly question, but I think it is a good question because I think some t- there's a lot of football phrases that can get thrown around that we kind of take for granted and, and just assume everyone understands. And I think sometimes I even think I understand when maybe I don't necessarily understand. I, I've kind of always assumed that length is sort of the coverall for the for both height and wingspan. Yeah, um, it, it's more of a broad term that covers everything because you can say that the cornerbacks are, have great length when they're not necessarily. I mean, they're not the same height as the receivers they're going against. Um, but they, they play with great length is a, is a phrase that you hear a lot. And so they're taking advantage of the length they do have there. So it could be, it could be their leg length. It could be their arm length. Um, obviously the leg length leads more to like longer strides and maybe having a chance to be faster, um, with, with wingspan being, uh, certainly a, a valuable tool for defensive backs to, to try and, um, to, to, uh, defend passes. So. Um, I think that's that's why they use the word length because I think it's necessarily just referring to their height always. It can be a combination of things. I agree wholeheartedly. So I will move on to Chris Bogan's question. He's at C underscore Bogan 1989. Thoughts on Reese calling plays? We touched on that in the first segment, 
but let's just hone in on just for this game the thoughts of him calling plays and the mechanics of it. Yeah, I think the mechanics should be fine. I, I don't feel like that the players are going to be confused in any way, and there's going to be any sort of like mixed ups in terms of getting the plays to Ian Book before the plays. So I think that'll all be fine. I think it makes sense in that he probably knows the most about the offense. Uh, Maybe even more than Brian Kelly in in some ways. Uh, so I think to me the only if it wasn't going to be Reese, to me in my mind it should be Brian Kelly. Um, and I, I'm maybe I was probably more than curious why Brian Kelly doesn't want to call the plays and, and insisted on having Tommy Reese do it, and and whether maybe that's more because of this is maybe a little bit of an audition for Tommy Reese for next year, or maybe it's just that he feels that Tommy Reese is in a better position to call the plays right now than Brian Kelly is. So um, I. I would love to to get Brian Kelly's honest thoughts on that. I don't know that he would necessarily um, reveal that to us, but um, I think Reese is going to do a fine job in, in calling plays and do as fine of a job as anyone that Notre Dame has on its staff right now to call the plays for this bowl game. But it's certainly not going to be an easy task in going against this Iowa State defense. Yeah, my thought about Brian not calling the plays is I think he wants to be consistent with his – 20 post 2016 makeover and where he felt like by being the play caller and be being so offensive centric he was not in touch with his defense and and that he wants to continue that now for one game to do that I don't think he's off message but I I I can see why he wants to be consistent with that and so and and Reese calling the plays, you know, I think it's better than having the media call the plays. So, um, you know, I I want to learn more about Tommy Reese as a rising offensive coach because I see a lot of people on our beat write that, and and some people calling him a great offensive mind, and I want to see evidence of that. You know, it's for one one thing for Brian Kelly to hint that or suggest that. But we don't have a lot of interaction with him, and unless I see it with my own eyes, it's hard for me to get behind that statement. Okay, the next question is from Mike, who has a handle I can't pronounce, but I'm going to try anyways. Rise Yari Dad. So he must be some kind of dad. Um, Nailed it. Okay, any reports on the three freshman corners? will likely need two of them in the tube deep next year, which are the two most likely from what you've seen or heard. Now, I'm I'm not sure if he's talking about the guys that are currently freshmen, Isaiah Rutherford, K.J. Wallace, and Cam Hart, or if he's talking about the recruits. My guess is he's talking about the guys already on campus. Is that your? Yeah, that's that's how I, I read that question. I, 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 I'll say that I don't know that I've heard much new information about these guys. Right. Um, I I think that Notre Dame likes what KJ Wallace has shown. Um, Cam Hart, in my mind, remains a bit of an enigma. He's been hurt and he's still not practicing now, so a bit of an incomplete grade there. I think the fact that they were willing to move him there means that Notre Dame has some confidence that he could turn out as a as a cornerback there. Um, I always liked Isaiah Rutherford as a recruit, and I, so I think he probably still has a bright future, even though he didn't play this season. Um, and I think. Um, he may be the most compelling of those because he does have more size, certainly, than K.J. Wallace. Um, uh, Cam Hart would have great length, and he, he, the NBC cameras have already confused him with Dalen Hayes as they both wore the number nine, and uh, they were even kind of walked into the stadium next to each other yesterday. I was like, yeah, I guess I can kind of see how they 
they could get mixed up. But um, he, he certainly, Cam Hart certainly has the size. I, I haven't seen enough of him to have much of an opinion in terms of what he can do defensively um, and would need to do more digging in terms of what his outlook is. And I'm not sure how how much Notre Dame necessarily learned about him this season after his after he switched over to corner because I think he got injured not too long after that. I don't I don't know. It was Brian Kelly at some point told us he was hurt, and I, and I think he made it seem like he had been hurt for a while and we'd already known about it, but I don't know that we did know about it. At least I didn't. Um, so I didn't I, either. I, think, uh, I actually um, asked him that question at the uh, Christmas shopping with a player thing. Right. So I, I think – We'll see. The cornerback situation is going to be important going into next season. Um, certainly, if Sean Crawford comes back, I think you feel okay about Sean Crawford and Tariq Tracy, but you don't have a lot of size there. And if KJ Wallace is your third best corner, you're not bringing in more more size or length, as we we could say. Um, so you you, you want to see Cam Hart and Isaiah Wilford develop at that position to to give them some some reliable depth. Yeah, and as far as the true freshmen, the four true freshmen that are going to be coming in. I think a couple of those guys are early enrollees. I don't expect them to be in the two deeps. Now, there are always surprises, maybe not to the level of being a starter or a second teamer, but it seems like every year when they bring the cornerbacks in, they're at a different developmental level than I think the recruiting guys that follow them. And I'm I'm not meaning Carter Carls. I mean the guys that do it for rivals <laughs> and so forth. You know, because all I heard about was how Isaiah Rutherford was pretty advanced, and KJ right. Wallace from day one looked like the guy that was more comfortable on the field. So, and we had the whole thing with Noah Boykin, and you know he was supposed to be the the great find in that class, and Tariq Bracy was way ahead of him. So, there are always going to be some at least mild surprises, in my opinion. Okay, our next question is from Loyal Son at Show Me Monty, and with the need for speed, what's the word on Avery Davis? He flashed a bit this season. Yeah, I just think the way that the Notre Dame's health and offense has advanced going throughout the season, I think he's sort of been kind of the guy left out there. I don't know. Um, he's not going to take Braden Lindsay's role. Um, I think they, he was sort of fulfilling the hole that uh, Jafar Armstrong had, had left. And I think that they feel that Armstrong is in a position to do a lot of those things that they thought Avery Davis could do for them, um, whether it's out of the backfield or in the slot. Um, and so I don't know who he's necessarily taking time away from, whether it's those guys or even like a faker, uh, Lawrence Keyes. So I think Avery Davis is, is still going to be stuck in sort of a limited small role. I think the last sort of important downs that we saw him play were, I think he was in like the last drive of that Virginia Tech game and made some, made some uh, important catches. Um, when their name was really spreading it out and trying to to move the ball to score to to take the lead, um, so I think he he's kind of just kind of stuck in a little bit of a niche role, and I'm not sure, um, especially in the Camping World Bowl, how much we'll see him. I I give Brian Kelly and Chip Long credit for kind of seeing what they had with him on offense. You know, he never had a big role, but there were a couple of bursts where he say, okay, there's something there. But again, when they kind of measure it against who else is coming back, they'd have seven running backs with Chris Tyree coming in. You know, is he better off at wide receiver? Is he better off going back to cornerback? I'd almost say the cornerback, except he never gained traction there, and he had a lot of opportunities. Right. 
So I, I'm not sure. I almost would stick him in the wide receiver core just to give some depth there uh, because you're going to have a lot of young players um, in that core next year, and maybe he could find a role in the rotation because you know you're going to have Kevin Austin, Lindsey, Keys, uh, you know probably Jordan Johnson, maybe even Xavier Watts. So it's it's going to be interesting, but it's it's too bad. I think he's a good enough athlete and a, and he's got more length than some of the corners, but um, he just never gained traction there for me. Okay. Uh, this one was from Josh Melton and he is Joshua Melton. That's at Joshua Melton. So that was easy. What do you think are the odds for an outside hire at offensive coordinator? And will the bowl game affect that in the least? Tommy is young but it's obvious how much BK likes him. Yeah, I mean, this one is uh, – I'm struggling to try and figure out what's going to happen with this offensive corner thing. It seems to sort of be lining up in terms of a position for him to just hire Tommy Reese as the offensive coordinator or make him a co-offensive coordinator perhaps with, with Lance Taylor or something like that. But I still think there's a decent chance that it makes an outside hire because I'm not – really sure what how this all is going to work out I, I i i also say that without knowing who is out there that's interested brian kelly would certainly have better knowledge of who he could potentially get an offensive coordinator beyond his his current coaching staff but i would think that there has to be some good candidates that would be willing to come in here but maybe they think that there's too restrictive and that Reese will have too much of a, a voice in what's going on as the quarterback's coach um to to come in as the offensive coordinator so I don't think that the bowl game should affect the the decision too much. I think, to me, if Brian Kelly is going to promote Tommy Reese to offensive coordinator, it would be more about what he's shown him in the last three seasons than um, how he's handled this past month in Saturday's game. Certainly, um, this has given him maybe some, some good experience and a solid performance on Saturday would uh, potentially solidify Brian Kelly's opinion if that's what he wanted to do. But I, I don't think that you should put too much weight on this specific game and how Tommy handles this in terms of um, what decision you make. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think he knows enough about Tommy without this game being a tryout. I, I think that would be unfair one way or another if Tommy has, you know, Notre Dame has 500 yards in offense and say, well, gosh, he ought to be the head coach. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think – you know he he knows what Tommy can do. As far as the odds on the outside person, when Brian Kelly said he didn't want to change the offense much, that knocked the percentage way down for me because you have to find somebody that that's going to fit and fit what Brian Kelly wants to do offensively. And if he has a, a very different offensive approach, how comfortable is he going to be? running Brian Kelly's plays, you know, as are you going to be able to get who you want? Chip Long was a relatively young until we, until we started talking about Tommy Reese, but a mid thirties guy who had one year of experience of play calling. So I think that was an easier, easier transition for Chip to say, yeah, you know, Mike Norvell and Brian Kelly aren't that different. I think I can do this. Um, so, but I, I do think it's important Brian Kelly looks outside. But the beauty of bringing in somebody from the outside is what happened at LSU, and Brian Kelly isn't looking for a revolution. 
he's looking for continuity. So that knocks the percentage way down. If you want a number, I'll say 27%. How's that? All right. Okay. <laughs> Last question from Rick DeRolf at Rick DeRolf. And I probably butchered your name both times. Sorry, Rick. <laughs> what are you guys hearing about Book coming back next year? Um, I, I believe he will come back next year. I think um, the way this season has ended and the way things have gone for Ian Book, I think made it more likely that he would return, um, even though. You would think, like, obviously finishing a season well would maybe increase your chances of going to the NFL, but I just don't know that he was going to be ready for that lead. Um, but maybe he thinks completely different. I, I would be lying if I felt like I had a great read on how Ian Book is thinking, um, but I, I, it just seems to be in line with him coming back next year um, with the way things are setting up for Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, pro football focused in an analytics uh, view of the quarterbacks that are in the bowl game. So there's 80 of them. And Book was up, I think it was 13th last year. He was 35th this year. Brock Purdy was 11th, I believe. Um, but he was way higher than Ian Book. And and just in looking at the different analyst rankings for quarterback, Ian Book doesn't even show up in most of them. Um, and so if he's going to the NFL, he's going to be – a guy that hopes to kind of get in the back door and be on a practice right. squad and go that way. I I can't see there being a negative in him coming back. And I think with, you know, I, he he's not one of the people celebrating Chip Long being gone, I don't think. I think a lot of people are. Uh, but I think he's happy with the way the offense is structured. And I just don't see him being a grad transfer. I don't see – you know, he, him having such a negative experience, he'd want to try and roll the dice somewhere else, especially considering how that's gone for former Notre Dame quarterbacks. So Ian Book, to me, is coming back. And yeah, especially if Tommy Reese is promoted to offensive coordinator. I, Ian loves Tommy, so I would think that he would want to play with play as, as Tommy as his offensive coordinator. So if that happens, that's, that I think signs he'll deliver. I think any NFL chance would be, I mean, if you look at the NFL guys from this past year, like a David Blau ended up getting a couple starts for the Lions because of some injuries, and uh, Kyle Allen ended up making starts for the Panthers and, and did an okay job at times, and then ended up sort of losing his job. I think that's that's kind of the ceiling for Ian Book in the NFL right now. So I don't know that that's worth jumping into the NFL draft for. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. The Pot of Gold Podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's. Satisfy your craving for hand-breaded chicken and fresh-made salads. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today or order online at zaxby's.com forward slash podcast. And we're also brought to you by Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. Stick with Endy Insider. For all your pregame and postgame coverage of the Camping World Bowl and the coaching search, which is about to embark.